All right. Welcome to Overvolted, I believe number 27. We are here with Donnie and Alex, and we have our special guest, Dr. Ian Cutris, with us. Thank you for joining us, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, give it to Alex. He's going to be driving our conversation today. So go ahead and take us away. So, I mean, yeah, I, I guess we can kind of open on what got you uh, into the industry, you know, how, how long you've been doing this. Right, guys, how's it going? So what you really want to do is get your CPU. No, um, real voice this time. So what got me into this industry? Um, I guess like most people, I enjoyed gaming. You know, build first PC, proper proper first build, I guess, around 2005. Okay. Um, you know, at university, second year of university, I had only had laptops up to then build first PC, you know, spend all of my student loan money, as you do. Mm -hmm. um, so I as can go they to LANs. <laughs> yeah, so I can go to LANs and play Battlefield 2 and sold that. And this is a time before you had mobile phone signal, data on your mobile phone. So everybody had to make sure they had the right Steam version before they went to the location that didn't have internet. That was terrible. Um, but yeah, kind of through that, I got into overclocking. Okay. You know, as you do, just to get, you know, extra performance. Back when Aquamark 3 was kind of standard, right? Oh, wow. That was, you know, and you, you have that end scene where it's a massive overdraw. And back then, the whole benchmark would take, you know, a good three, four, five minutes. And nowadays, it's 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, through that, I, so I was doing that kind of, you know, through my university work, um, joined British UK overclocking forum, joined that team. Um, the idea to be, you know, with some like-minded lads, actually going into the overclocking leagues where we would buy, you know, random, this is a, yeah, stupidly old Celerons and let's see how far we can push them or what have you. Um, you know, back, back in the days when uh, I7920 was, you know, king of the hill, mm -hmm. uh, quad core in a halem. And uh, yeah, through that, I went to, that, that was about the time when Gigabyte was doing these global overclocking events where they would go to different regions and you'd have overclocking battles and they'd pick the best. And I physically went to a couple of those, as not as a participant, more as a, you know, just to see Spectator. what goes on. Yeah, and I actually kind of did journalism for one, um, for, the, for the forum I was on, you know, just taking loads of pictures and describing what was going on. Um, through that, well, through, through that forum, and actually at that event, I met Reginda Gill, okay. who is a known, you know, is a known overclocker. He knows all of his stuff, but he's kind of more in the background. He was at that time he was um, he was working for Anantech as the mm -hmm. senior motherboard editor, and he'd see me write on the forums. That was when I'd do you know deep dives into which drivers were the best for which benchmarks. You know, you're dealing with Catalyst 7.12. Or 7.11 or 7.10. That, yeah, that really shows you how long ago it was. Um, and he says, look, you, you know how to write and stuff, and you got the technical knowledge, and you clearly know, so why don't you come write for an Antec? So at the, at the time, I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about tech media. I had never read an Antec in my life. If I wanted to find out what the best GPU was, I'd go to Tom's Hardware and look at the, look at the oh, wow. hierarchy, right? It was, I, I, it's, I, That's insulting. It, it wasn't even, you know, I, I didn't look into computer architecture that mm -hmm. I didn't understand that there were generations of this thing. I just, 
I just saw, oh, that benchmark higher, buy that one if I had the money, or overclock this one to get mm -hmm. that performance, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that 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 got me into sort of being like the secondary motherboard editor at Anantec. And six months later, Raja quit, and Anand just turned around and said, "Do you want to be senior motherboard editor?" So within six months, I was already already a senior editor. That was right at Sandy Bridge launch as well. You know, that's the review that Anand did five months early um, before launch because he got one of the you know, early engineering samples. I remember um, reading that review, actually. That was right around the time I built my uh, my Phenom uh, dual-core system. I was like, I can't, yeah, I'm not going to be able to afford this. <laughs> but he, uh, he, yeah, no, he, he published that review, you know, five months early, whatever. You know, so many more BIOS updates and actual retail silicon before the actual, you know, launch day came out. Um, yeah, but at that time... I turned senior motherboard editor while I was still doing my studies. Um, I went, uh, so I was, you know, kind of doing one or two reviews a month because motherboard reviews take such a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got invited to Computex at ECS that year. So ECS sponsored our trip. Um, you know, and that was kind of like my first proper event. And Computex's Taiwan is amazing. If we weren't all in this you know, situation, I'd highly recommend that if anybody gets an opportunity to go to Computex, if if they're in the industry, is just go. First year is going to be what's all this then, and then after that, you know, you can perhaps be more professional and actually target where you need to go. Because I think that first year I had like 25 meetings, and now when I go, I have like 52. That's it, I just bulk it out because I know what to expect. Um, but yeah, then I so I finished my studies, finished my PhD. Um, tried for six months to get a job in chemistry. So my PhD is in computational chemistry. Um, I even applied for a second PhD. There were so few, so many rejections. Um, and in the end, I just decided, well, I'm already doing this freelance motherboard reviewing stuff. Um, why not? Let's see if I can do it full time. You know, because at that point I was being paid per article, right? Mm -hmm. And when you decide to get make it a full time, you actually realize, oh, no, I have to do four or five reviews a month, make sure there's budget to do it because, you know, some places don't have the budget for if you output that amount, they won't pay you that amount because they can't afford it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I kind of did that. I essentially made that my job for five years. I was freelance. Um, then an and left. We got taken over by a, a publisher called, known as Perch, and mm -hmm. I was then brought on full time. Um, and yeah, I think after about two or three years, I had started to migrate from motherboards to CPUs. And then, you know, when Anand kind of made that conscious decision to leave, he was palming off all of his separate areas. Um, so even though I have no formal computer architecture or programming um, training, uh, most of what I learn is through inference. Um, so you know, if, if I can read it a few times, I'll pick it up. I'll try and you know do the pattern matching to understand how it all um, goes mm -hmm. together. Um, I actually did a course on CUDA back when it was CUDA 2.0. That was actually formed the basis of my PhD. Uh, so yeah, that is my only formal programming training I've had ever. Um, and then yeah, since I got made full time on the CPUs, that's all I've done. And Going full-time is from freelance is weird because rather than having to chase so many articles a month to make sure you can still pay the rent, you start you start to think more big picture mm -hmm. about the industry as a whole, about where the industry is going, 
about the bigger articles that matter. Mm-hmm. And you know, through that, I've I've um, looked after a number of junior editors, and that's where I sit now. Senior CPU editor, have editor in chief uh, Ryan Smith, and um, Ryan Smith, Ryan Smith. And uh, April last year, I started my YouTube channel. Questions? Which, if you guys wanna wanna check that out, it's, I, uh, it's I actually potato. I have a question. With all of that and being the senior editor for CPUs at Anontech, which is obviously one of the most prestigious websites for hardware reviews on the internet as it is, what made you decide to start a YouTube channel? So uh, an Anantech, for, 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 for all its exposure, um, you know, it's a very professional outlet. There's very mm-hmm. yeah. you know, targeted audience in mind. And, you know, I... I really like the way that we do take the engineer's attitude to a review rather mm-hmm. than, say, the enthusiast's attitude to a review. But there have been a few times over the years where I've pitched an idea for an article and I've been told that doesn't really fit in with what we're trying to do. Something that I find interesting, mm-hmm. um, but perhaps doesn't necessarily work on the scope of an Antec. And, you know, it got to, and it got to a point where, you know, obviously I was seeing it everywhere on YouTube who are successful in the tech space, thinking, well, can I get a piece of that as well with my own you know, gig and with my own idiosyncrasies? And I obviously have a lot of opinions on a lot of stuff that I write mm-hmm. but you, that you can't put down in written format. They work, work much better in a video context. Sure. Just, just the intonation of how people speak in, in an interview, for, an exa- for example. So, um, yeah, so that means, so I, I did that in order to, be my more creative outlet, I guess, for the more casual topics in the industry, um, or just general, you know, scientific uh, kind of coverage. Uh, so I recently did one on um, optics and lens, video on optics and lenses, which wouldn't necessarily be general and antech content. Um, I've done a few videos on how to run Crisis on a 64-core CPU, that wouldn't be an antech content. Um, I, in one video, I was throwing CPUs across the room to show how crap they were. Um, that isn't an Antech content. So you kind of get that idea. Um, there, there is that, there is a sort of co-design with some Antech content. So if I do an interview, I'll have the written version on an Antech and have the video version on my channel. Um, just because an Antech doesn't really do video, um, want to keep it a more sort of written context outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, or I reviewed a Lenovo uh, P620 workstation, the Threadripper Pro. I did the written review on an Antec. I did a video review um, on Tech Tech Potato. And yeah, sort of those general things. Um, or yeah, as we were talking before this all started with these uh, fancy glasses. Yeah. Uh, don't want to cut you off, but it does appear that we have momentarily lost Alex. Which is why so... the uh, video overs are kind of messed up at the moment but yeah <laughs> we can keep going until alex jumps back in <laughs> yeah i'm not sure what that was about probably just a internet issue um so i think the next topic on the list was pretty much about like how you approach benchmarking and you know like things like unconscious bias and what goes into selecting your benchmarks like I'm getting a repeat through, sorry. Okay. Here we go. No, it's yes. it's because I had the uh, stream on. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I got so sorry, guys. Benchmarking and unconscious bias. Um, so 
I mean, the topic of benchmarking is really broad about what makes a good benchmark, what you mm -hmm. should be benchmarking, how you should benchmark. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we, we've talked about it, um, you know, privately a couple of times about how the kind of benchmarks that you select can um, definitely change the way that your review looks. And you, you kind of need to be aware of what you are benchmarking. And mm -hmm. if you are either trying to find, uh, to me at least, the way I look at it is if you are trying to sit, to sort of hit a certain type of audience with a certain type of workload, if you're trying to simulate, you know, something that you think is broad or generalized, or if you're trying to, you know, uh, try to hit things that are popular or things that are intensive, and you kind of get really different um, results and then different conclusions from the way that you test. Well, so, so think of it as sort of like a push-pull strategy, right? It's mm -hmm. if you want to review for your audience, then your audience is dictating your benchmark strategy, mm -hmm. right? If they're interested in um, you know, real-time strategy games uh, and Photoshop, then that's going to be the core of your benchmarking. Mm -hmm. um, then you've also got the other way. You say, well, this is a new product from the manufacturer, and they claim X percentage speed up in various different tests. Now, mm -hmm. perhaps those tests now form the basis of your benchmarking. You're validating the manufacturer's not claims. Event, yes. Yeah. So you've got a, like you know an element of push and pull. Um, one of the issues that I think people get uh, hung up on when they start doing this sort of testing is, you know, do I build my own tests? Are my own tests relevant, or do I use off-the-shelf tests? And the ones that do one button click, are they mm -hmm. the best tests? They're the easiest to run. Um, you know, it's uh, Geekbench is the ultimate example of a one-button test that just mm -hmm. pops out a number, and you may not understand what's being tested underneath unless you actually go and do that research. And it, it comes down to um, if you're just, you know, a freelancer doing an odd review, or you're trying mm -hmm. to churn them out quickly, maybe you're not necessarily paying attention to that in-depth information of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Or if you're, you know, trying to do the sort of, you know, 20, 30, 40-minute videos, 10,000 word reviews, then maybe you're spending more doing more upfront research into mm -hmm. that. Um, I mean, say, so take, take uh, SSD reviews, for example. Uh, you can either run Crystal Deskmark and Atto and call it a day, mm -hmm. or, you, or you can look into recording SSD traces and see how it performs in database workloads mm -hmm. and whether your you know, database workload is representative of real world and power management and if power management features are enabled. That, you know, there's a whole range of spectrum of mm -hmm. benchmarking ability in that. Um, but you, you also have, so, I mean, I work for uh, a publisher called Future. Future mm -hmm. has a lot of brands like Tech Radar. Um, mm -hmm. And te te Tech Radar's attitude is actually towards fewer benchmarks because they're pulling audience more out of Google. So, they're, so very low technical knowledge. What benchmarks do they need to run, if any? And how do they explain them to the readership? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think we've discussed before about sometimes your bench, your benchmarking and your attitude defines the audience which you'll get, mm -hmm. right? You, mm -hmm. you can help define your audience by defining your benchmarking strategy. So, I mean, yeah, so a good example of this, you brought up uh, Crystal Disk Mark and ATTO. Yep. Um, I use those in my own SSD tests because, to be completely honest with you, I spoke to um, a decent number of my audience, mm -hmm. and they really didn't seem to care. 
They yeah. just wanted a number to spit out so they know whether the new Samsung SSD is faster than, you know, the crucial one or whatever. And they, they yeah. again, I looked at it and I said, well, you know, writing here, does are my audience a bunch of people who really, who, you know, work in data centers or really care about the really in-depth stuff? Or yeah. are they going to read a graph like... Um, you know, like like you guys do, or what's his name used to do? Alan used to do a PC per, and yep. just look at this and go, what am I looking at? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a so an Antex audience. Yeah, it's the engineers, it's the people who work mm -hmm. at the companies, it's the people who are making the purchasing decisions for their business. Mm -hmm. They're trying to eke out every you know two percent of performance that they can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's kind of the audience we go for. And as mm -hmm. I try and teach our writers to also write for everybody else as well. Mm -hmm. So alongside the complex testing, we also do Atto. I don't, we don't mm -hmm. do Crystal Dismark, um, but mm -hmm. we, you know, we test different Q depths and mm -hmm. it's that sort of attitude to testing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's all different types. And this is why I always recommend, you know, an Antec isn't, well, Tech Tech Potato isn't the be all and end all of benchmarking, right? Different mm -hmm. people do lots of different testing mm -hmm. and everybody will have different reviews. And different mm -hmm. perspectives. No two people are going to get the same result because their setups are different. Um, you know, it's there's no standardized setup, if you were. Especially uh, when you get people in your comment threads telling you that they have the same test system as you, but they get 20 FPS more. Like that's some sort of W <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you do have people that clamor over every FPS like it's you know gold. Well, the the interesting too is the interesting thing too is sometimes you'll have people who like haven't have an overclocking competition with you in the comments, and it's like, well, I'm sure if I really, really, really tried, I could get those extra FPS, or I could get something that's bench stable, but I don't think that's really an accurate representation a representation to the audience, you know. But I don't I don't know how much of my audience is going to spend six hours making sure tweaking an overclock to make sure it's stable or 10 or 15 or whatever stable but, 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 CSGO, mind you <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's a back when i was an overclocker that's what i did mm -hmm. right it's it's um yep. in, in in it's fun in, to do when you have the time yes when you when you have the time when it's your own, when it's your own system if you if you're into that um mm -hmm. i it's so uh, Gordon, Gordon Maung and Brad Charkos over at PC World, they recently did, you know, um, their their weekly show, The Full Nerd. And they were talking about, you know, all the different types of testing that that people do. So from my perspective, I test at uh, default standards. Mm. So that means my memory is at the maximum rated manufacturer, you know, from these days, it's now DDR4 3200. Cast latency 22 because that's the standard. Mm -hmm. I run the motherboards at stock, and that's kind of you know we're trying to find the standardized element of testing because I'm an engineer. I'm writing for engineers. They want the standards. Um, whereas uh, Gordon and their team, they'll do um, you know a good market representative memory kit, which is technically mm -hmm. overclocking. Uh, Steve late. from 3600 or something like that. Yeah, yeah 3733 cast 15 or whatever. You, yeah, yeah, something like that. Whereas Steve from uh, Gamers Nexus, I almost said Hardware Nexus then. Um, Gamers Nexus, he'll you know he'll go through each individual sub timing and tweak for you know a, a good a good optimized version of the system. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's, uh, I remember going to a Samsung SSD launch here in the UK, um, and I had an argument with one of one of the other press because I said, why would you test like that? Well, what, you know, almost nobody runs it like that. And he turned around and said, well, yeah, but that we're going after that 1% of the 1% of enthusiasts with our, with our content. I was like, okay, fair enough. Do what you want. <laughs> so, um, interestingly enough, I, uh, I once got into, um, I, I wouldn't say it was, it was really like an argument, but sort of a, a discussion with, um, a rep from a certain company because I tested um, Ryzen Gen 1 at a stock setting, which was JDEC standard timings, which was, you know, it didn't look that good. I'm going to be totally yeah. honest with you. And then I did an overclocked uh, test with the memory clocked up to, I think it was 2800 or whatever. The, the memory kit I had at the time was absolutely horrible for it. It was, yeah. It was you don't a, need to mention the brand. They won't be too happy if you do. It's it's not the brand. It's uh, it was Micron Memory. Okay. Not Micron yeah. Memory. The uh, the other one. The other oh well, you're saying Micron. One. They're going to be annoyed now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. It, you know, it wasn't Samsung B die. Like anything that wasn't Samsung B die on pre-launch Ryzen was just a pain to work with. But I got it up to like 2800, and I overclocked the chip, and the performance was great. But, you know, the guy asked me, he's like, why'd you test that? I said, because that's out of the box settings. When you plug this thing in, if you don't know any better and you don't yeah. turn on XMP, because I, the amount of people I've seen that don't, that don't have their memory in XMP settings is, like, mind-blowing. Or, like, or, or if they, the build, or if they yeah. build a computer and both memory sticks are in the same channel. <laughs> yeah. It's, yep. it's, I mean, it's the whole XMP issue is something that comes across regularly because my argument is when I went to LAN parties uh, in the UK, we have, um, you know, mass, uh, massive LAN parties of 1500 people. There's a company that does those and they've been going for like 20, 30 years. You can, I went to a few of them as an overclocker, some of the few overclocking events I actually did. And you'd go around and you'd see people with, you know, they didn't know what XMP was, they weren't running, they'd bought a high performance performance kit and they're still running at ddr3 2133 or dr4 2133 and or in single channel mode and they Mm -hmm. had no idea because either they hadn't watched a build guide i'm sure there's enough build guides on youtube now um but it's still it's still 10 years ago it was harder to find this stuff out though yeah yeah you had to buy the magazine and the magazine was like a haynes manual or something basically (laughs) So I have but a yeah. question about benchmarking. Uh, sure. Pretty much since uh, Ryzen came out, they started showcasing gaming while streaming with their chips and how yep. it outperformed Intel. And even since like Ivy Bridge, I've been interested in seeing benchmarks that showed the multitasking features yep. of the four core eight thread versus uh, just a normal i5 or three. And that's especially important now with Threadripper and things like that. Uh, is there a reason why we haven't seen any uh, multi-application simultaneous benchmarking? So, I mean, uh, Intel has an official word for this. It's called Megatar. Yes. I was going to say that, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, I think they pushed that out in one of their high-end desktop launches. They called it Megatasking. Um, I think that was that was Ryan Trout over there at the time. Like, I mean, I know he's there now, but was he there yet? I, I think, think it was slightly before hit before that. Okay. Um, but so uh, as always with testing, you want repeatability. Um, so I did once write an automation script 
which would essentially launch OBS and start streaming to a Twitch or a YouTube or whatever. And it would just instantly go. The minute you started up, it would get what's on screen. You know, I'd set up the scene profile and whatever, and then minimize it. And then you could, say, run your gaming benchmark or whatever's running behind me here um, on top of it. And you could think, well, isn't that pretty repeatable? And the annoying thing is, anytime you go outside of your network, you never know what's going on, right? So mm-hmm. if somehow during that test you had, you know, frames drop or signal degradation that you weren't you weren't streaming at uh, 3,500 kilobit, you were streaming at 2,000 kilobit or something, that puts less pressure on the CPU to do the encoding because the, the server's telling you, back off, I can't deal with your stream right now, or your signal integrity is so poor, I can't deal with your stream right now. So you end up with a variable load on the CPU or the GPU if you're doing GPU encoding, if you're doing NVNC and firing mm-hmm. that down the pipe. So um, you offset that by just having it record locally rather than actually streaming. That way you have actual video encoding yeah, going but on. You have video encoding, but you don't have the network load. And well, the yes. network load is also another CPU load. So it, but it's, 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 one, actually. it's a trade-off. <laughs> yeah, and it's and unfortunately people want the latter. It's 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 the same with benchmarking MMOs, um, whether they're RPGs or battle royale or what have you. It's you you can't guarantee anything that comes up and down the pipe um, unless um, you have like an internal LAN setup. There there is situations with some of them that have replay systems where you can play the replays. Uh, PUBG uh, is one no, of them. There's a problem with replays. Okay. Uh, so I I I once. So funny story. So my brother works for a video game company and we okay. went to a video game event in, mm-hmm. in London. He was working. I decided to get a press pass because I thought, why not? Let's have a look. And part of, part of what I do when I go to these things is I kind of poke companies for interesting things. And, oh, have you got a benchmark? So well, I don't um, you have a benchmark. Is always why don't you have a benchmark? After. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and try and convince them do this and, you know, it'll look good. And uh, I met the rep for Bossa Games, who does all the surgeon simulators, right? And I had a talk with him, and uh, I think it was actually, you know, like the C- uh, the COO or something. Mm-hmm. And him, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. You should come down to our office um, in Shoreditch or wherever it was, um, which is in North London. And I went, uh, okay, sure. And a couple of weeks later, you know, I put on my suit, as I do, and I went over to there and... Um, I had a play of their Surgeon Simulator game, and at that point, they had a you know a Trump model, and they let me play it in VR, and it was fun. And we had a sit down, we had a talk about what games they were working on, and you know how much effort they were putting in. And we 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 broached the topic of replays, and he says, well, you know, we have this software that enables a replay system, and we use it for validating hardware on on our game. And I said, well, great, how does that work? And it turns out it doesn't actually do the physics math. Well, it's so already it, got all that saved. Yeah, it's already done. It. Mm-hmm. The playback file is just a list of locations to move elements to. Mm-hmm. It's not actually... So do you remember um, the first version of Worms on DOS? No. Kurt, please say you do. Yeah, I didn't play Worms. I played the one that was Tanks that Worms was based off of. Right. All of that. So, <laughs> so, so 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 worms as you know does a replay whenever you kill a worm right shows the shot 
and does everything. Um, Worms original DOS, when it did a replay, it redid the math. And because an element of the math is random number generation, sometimes you'd get a different random number and not kill the worm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or he would move slightly differently, right? I mean, and that, that, that's a problem with random numbers, and you can talk about um, mathematical precision as well would become an issue with that. Um, but yeah, so replays, I don't like, I don't like replays like that. Um, that's, that's a it's, fair it's, critique. I mean, you could so, argue that in-game in benchmarks are can be replays. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, unless the developer tells you, and in my experience, developers do not want to talk to people who benchmark hardware, um, you won't know. Yeah, Alex so, and I have discussed this, and we've we've both come to the conclusion that, if you, especially for CPU reviews when you're testing games, canned benchmarks are almost useless. Like... Oh, so many. I, 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 I use exclusively can benchmarks. Sorry, I know you I was, do. I was going Except to say, yeah. wrote, but I'm right? sure you've probably curated a list that are actually working the way you want. I just mean like if you're just specifically trying to go for the popular games or something like that, it's it's very difficult to get an accurate representation of the experience a user is going to get in a canned benchmark if you're testing a CPU. Graphics cards, eh, you know, there's well, a little bit more leeway. I, I could argue that as long as you're only comparing products in that review and you're not comparing the results to other reviews that's then you're true fine. no yeah see there's there's two different ways of looking at this and this is what i was kind of wanting to get into in benchmarking there is trying to show you what x piece of hardware does in y piece of software and then there is trying to compare two pieces of hardware against each other so for example um if you were trying to tell someone what what you know performance is in, in x y and z games generally the can benchmark can be kind of iffy in that depending on on the situation and again What's... when you're trying to look at it from um sort of the 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 ryzen chip and the in the intel chip in these handful of of testing uh you know in your in these handful of games which one is faster <sighs> it's it's generally i think acceptable well, so, I mean, um, you guys know that I essentially do automate all of my testing. Yeah. I mean, like I say, since we went through all both systems behind me, yes. you know, I'm yes. doing work while these guys are on a stream uh, talking. <laughs> um, so uh, that, 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 that does limit me to benchmarks I can reliably automate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And canned benchmarks are the best source of that. Uh, I want... And they're incredibly consistent. That yeah. Is another well, thing. they're incredibly consistent. Uh, her, her, um, Gears Tactics has its issues. Um, the company knows yes, about it, does. it. They don't. They don't yes, care. It um, yes, it does. So, the uh, I once did a. So I have automated a non-canned benchmark before, and that was Rocket League. Mm -hmm. So I. So my automation tool started up the program, initiated a four-way uh, a game with bots. You know, as many bots as you could fit in. Um, played a five-minute match, and then uh, did fraps over the top. I think we lost Alex again. Yep. Um, so it, it, it did fraps over the top to get your frame rates. And the mm -hmm. idea was I made the match long enough to be representative because you can't determine, you can't have a deterministic game like that because of AI and what have you. But as long as you made the benchmark long enough, you should get a representative overall average. We're talking, you know, tens of thousands of frames. 
you're hoping that everybody hopes that over the lifetime of you playing a game your frame rate should average out Mm -hmm. i mean that's why benchmark benchmarks produce numbers because you want the global average um so so that was always my argument there for doing the rocket lake test but then as always with these games if you automate them they update and that screws up your test and it's usually right before a launch and you have to figure out what went wrong how to fix it um yeah and in the end yeah rocket league just changed too much it's rocket league when it first came out did have proper command line tools to do all of that mm-hmm so I didn't need to do fake mouse movements and button presses, but yeah, now it's it's there's an issue. So that is the unfortunate reality of benchmarking: is software changes on a daily basis now. Like, yeah, it's even as some like I when I'm not reviewing and I'm just playing a game, the amount of times that I'll just start Call of Duty Modern, like the Warzone, I guess it's called, yeah. And every time I get in there, it's there's an update. And it's like, how much is changing? Uh, it gets a little annoying. I realize that, like, on one hand, that's a good thing because it means they're, you know, looking after the yeah. community and making sure the game doesn't have any bugs. But on the other hand, it's just waiting for updates is always a pain in the ass. So, so it, 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 because of my automation, if I can, I try and obtain the um, GOG version the drm free non-updatable mm-hmm. version so um my editions of civ 6 i think and chernobylite both use the gog versions because they're non-updatable and when i come around to refreshing my test branch which is usually once every 18 months to mm-hmm. two years that's when i'll do the software update right it's a bit harder with gpu reviews because you always want to test on the latest drivers on the latest everything so it means you have to retest everything. My, my, my ultimate goal is if I can automate everything and I can scale out, I can test, excuse me, 10 CPUs at once, no problem. Mm-hmm. It's, when I have my office set up, I can do five, six simultaneously, which is fine. But then even just maintaining them is a full-time job because you start them up. Then one finishes, okay, you change the GPU and then you start that test. Mm-hmm. Then the next one finishes. You got to change GPU, put it on the test, and then by the time you change the last one, the first one's done. And in that, you still have to go through all the data and pass it through your graphs and what have you. It, it's yeah, p- perfect job for an intern. I wish I had an intern. When you're, um, this is something uh, I don't know if you've talked about before, but when you're uh, using the canned benchmarks with through your automation systems. Are yep. you taking whatever number the benchmark spits out at the end, like, you know, if it's Tomb Raider or whatever, it shows you their results at the end? Or do you capture using an external software like uh, Fraps or um, what's the other one? Uh, Present Mod. So um, I prefer using games that do their own output files. Right. If, it, if, if it's just an image on a screen, that's difficult. So that means I have to then take a screenshot and then post-process it by going through. Mm-hmm. picking the numbers out uh, so my automation tools if a be- if a canned benchmark pulls out a physical uh, a physical file just a file which has the numbers in then my script will go through that file especially if it's frame rate frame times will mm-hmm. go through the frame times find the average find the percentile um in a couple of cases yes it is just one number for average 
Um, there's a couple of games that I do use Fraps on. Um, so Final Fantasy 15 is one. Um, I can't think of what the other one is. So there's definitely two. Um, and yeah, that so so that gives me a pseudo frame time. Um, Far Cry 5 is an odd one out because it doesn't output an easy-to-use text file. It outputs a HTML file. Yeah. And it generates a graph. So what my script does is it regexes the HTML file to extract the values out of that graph from the code. It uses those as the FPS per second because it only does it once a second on the graph. And through that, I derive an average frame rate and a percentile. Do you just love having and, programming skills? No, it's 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 doing the same thing repeatedly. That's what I'm good at. Um, Rainbow Six has a has a, a thing when you use their CAN benchmark. Now um, it spits out a uh, an HTML file. Yeah, I think kind of interesting. Ubisoft is going that way with all their CAN benchmarks. They spit out an HTML file. Are they HTML it's, or XML? HTML, I believe. So. Uh, at the minute, my game testing is only standalone tests and Steam. Mm-hmm. So the, the problem with Steam is if you want to test multiple systems at once, you can only be signed on to the one account at a time. Mm-hmm. What my script does is it actually probes Steam's API to see if my account is online. If it is, it goes through the offline tests. And between each test, it will say, well, can I go online yet? <laughs> yes, no. No? Okay, another offline test. This no, is genius. Guys, test. guys. If I can... Is... So I mean, so I'm I mean, pretty sure I, you could sell these this this script for a lot of money. It sounds I've, like it's pretty. It's, three it's, other it's, benchmarkers in the world who want it. <laughs> it's I, I, I have a had a couple of other media. I have had a couple of other media um, requests. Uh, it's, it's I'm really bad at taking money from people though. It's like I need I need somebody I need a salesperson to do it, and then I'll be fine. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's. I can have it. So if I'm doing like three or four systems that are running through the gaming script, if there, if I can have one that's currently on the online tests, the other three go through the offline tests, but then they spin, spin rounds just every minute checking online to see if they can go online. Mm. It's you, you can't control that. I mean, I could kind of try and scale out to multiple accounts, but that would mean I'd have to pay for multiple titles. Yeah. And then I do at one point do hit the five in five activations every 24 hours. That some games have, that Ubisoft games tend to have. You want to yeah. make, just but, make a separate Steam account for each game that you purchase. That's yeah. That that that's a that's really smart. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> that's really smart. <laughs> uh, can't, can't do that now because all on one account. Market, you could resell those individual accounts, but don't take my nope. Don't do that. Steam yeah. says you're not allowed. Well, to. actually, in the UK, <laughs> but. but in the UK, don't you guys have um, like uh, right software laws that laws. yeah, right to resell laws? Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, if you the EU that, does. I don't know if it still counts for you guys anymore. <laughs> if you have an account for each game, then you have the right to resell, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's EU but yeah. EU says don't. So don't don't do that. You did not hear it's, it from me. Steam's good because Steam has a user API. You do have to activate it in your profile um, in order to get it to work. Um, whereas none of the other software, none of the other game stores do that. So I can't use Origin. I can't use Uplay unless it is through Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, I also use some undocumented Steam command line tools to actually get it to work and so I don't have to keep putting in my password. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of awesome. It's, it's kind of awesome. From a, just from a, um, a point of scale as to how automated this is, it's kind of awesome that you can just let this run in the background. Um, it's, as someone I mean, who stands pounding at the keyboard... <laughs> yeah you, you there are that. so many there are so many like games that i don't use can benchmarks in that i just have to play it the exact same way every time yeah i it gets yeah. to the point there are games that i've wanted to play like actively like play through the story of them You're but then because the i started benchmarking the witcher 3 is definitely one of them but control is another one but it's like i've done it so many times just benchmarking it that i don't even want to see the title screen to play it you know, i want nothing to do with the game and they're good games it's just i it's uh, my, my script does automatically turn the audio of the OS down to zero, so I don't have to keep hearing the same thing over and over <laughs> and over again. Um, well, it's uh, so is it Red Dead Redemption? Is how I've I've been benchmarking it for so long, I haven't actually played the damn game. Yeah. Uh, to play play time two hundred fifty six point one hours, all benchmarks. Yep, all benchmarks. I've uh, I've put I've put maybe like thirty hours into it. It's really good, but I do know the benchmark. Yeah, but that's how it is. So it's um so so uh, uh you guys will know this. Last year I I announced my CPU overload project mm-hmm. to test every x86 processor since 2010. Yes, about 900 processors. Um, I'm at about he's a mad I'm about hundred. I'm at about hundred mm-hmm. now after eight months. And but the thing is, I'll go through like a period of two weeks where I'll do tons, and then five weeks where I do nothing, because I'm I'm too busy writing, I'm too busy making videos. I just don't want to spend time just keep changing processes. But yeah, uh, how much how much thermal paste do you keep around you? Because I I keep like I keep like a lot, I, like, uh, and I don't I, test as much as you do. I use about a twenty gram tube a year. Okay. That's the large tubes. Yeah, I know you're wondering. That's like the big ones. It's um, it's uh, 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 there there is one manufacturer who will keep me happily in stock of of thermal paste. So let's see. It's probably this one. (laughs) We can't see. Well, I know you can't, but the people on stream might be able to. Is that Um, that NTH two? Uh, no, Noctua does pretty well at providing stuff, but Arctic actually has sent me MX4 quite a bit too. So, so, so I, I used to use the MX5 stuff when I was overclocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that used to be the best of the generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, though, though, to be honest, it's, I mean, so I, th- I think it's, I either use H1 or H2, but it, it wipes off easily with just a tissue. I don't need to use any cleaning agent. Yep. Yeah. So I do, I do remember that. There was a time when I would, for every GP review, I'd have to do a teardown and then repaste it. But obviously, I do that after the testing because I can't have it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's uh, I've got a rule with systems or do your tests first, then and take then it re- off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes I've and not to like call anybody out, but I've I, I watch them as a fan. Like I watch Linus Tech Tip videos and I see them do the teardown first, knowing they did the teardown first. They'll even say, "Yeah, we haven't tested this yet," and I'll be like, "Well, what are you doing? Why are you like?" <laughs> It's because they can get it's a second. making your life problem. more difficult. You probably like... got two GPUs to begin with. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, didn't didn't they just buy a hundred to resell? Uh-oh. Yeah, there's they're doing some kind of thing where they're like selling 3080s direct to gamers or something, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, to help the uh, gamers actually get one. <laughs> Eventually, I think Linus Tech, Linus Media Group as a whole, is going to get so big that they might buy a non-tech next. <laughs> From Perch, no. <laughs> I don't think Perch even does. Perch still own a non-tech, it's or is future it future now? It's future, future now. Yeah, it is future. Yeah. That's right. I'm it's, trying to I'm trying to find the thermal paste that uh, Noctua did send me. I think it's the I think it's the NH2 stuff. Well, while we're the, the newer thermal one. paste, we can talk it's about really nice uh, thermal grizzly as well. I haven't used their stuff actually. Mm, it's uh, I didn't find it wipeable enough. There you go. I didn't find it wipeable enough. Are we still talking about thermal paste? <laughs> Depends on what thermal paste you're talking about. But, right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a little bit of isopropyl, and you're fine. I, one but, thing I've been interested in is trying those um, the pad things, those carbon. I forget what they're called. Mm -hmm. You guys know. Everybody yeah. watching knows what yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah, pads, somebody yeah. somebody said it in the chat like two minutes ago. They yeah, said that would be the ideal thing for testing, but I suppose so. No, because it's also it's, hey, Nomon's in the in the chat. Hi, Nomon. It's it's. Uh, I I would argue that thermal pads. Okay, you get can you get better consistency. I worry that it's just too much, too much paste mm -hmm. to clean every single time. I mean, don't, uh, I, I'm, I'm CPU on, CPU off, CPU on, CPU off, CPU off. So, yeah, no, I, I remember talking to to somebody in a in a forum, and they were talking about you know what thermal paste they use, and I'm like, I'm like, I use this one, and then they said, well, you know, the, these ones they dry out quicker, and I'm like, I don't, I don't keep I, paste on a I use two, I use toothpaste. <laughs> wasn't it Nantech the one that started doing cheese as a benchmark base, or was it the toothpaste? No, oh, cat rating uh, the screen. No. <laughs> Some, uh, it's my motherboard reviewer, Gavin Bonshaw. He um, so he used to he used to run his own YouTube channel. His mm -hmm. best video was where he got seven different types. Sorry, seventy different types of paste. Yep, I mm -hmm. read that one. Yeah. You know, what well, one of those, you know, it, it takes like six months to actually do properly. That one of those sorts of reviews, and you just put it together, and it was really good. Right. I apologize for, um, for the sound of the falling microphone. My cat is having. Uh, uh, Linus Tech Tips did one where he like put coffee filters, or no, he used coffee filters to wipe them, but he used like toothpaste, uh, canned cheese, mayonnaise. Mayonnaise has got to smell awful. <laughs> it's that's got to just smell awful. You need canned tuna. <laughs> there we go. Somebody said graphene pads. We just got a super yeah. chat from uh, Denvera. Yeah, uh, graphene pads. Yeah. Graphene pads are different chat. from thermal I, pads. I see diamond, yeah. Yeah, they're completely mm -hmm. dry, so you can reuse them and it's, use them on different CPUs. It's, some people have told me I should use Rocket Lake to cook chicken. <laughs> just put it in the KF console. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay, you know, I asked Cooler Master for a review okay. sample, and they uh, they didn't reply to me. So I maybe I well, I mean, it, why they KFC. why they were laughing at me? Well, don't forget that uh, a data did that uh, semi solid gold keyboard at CES one year. I asked for a review sample of that, and even I couldn't get one. <laughs> they said, "Oh no, it's only for show." Speaking that, that, of Linus that, that, Tech Tips, they actually recently did an all-gold uh, Xbox controller. 
I, I, I watched the third video just before coming on here where they got all the reactions from everybody. I haven't um, watched that one yet. Uh, you should. Um, Yvonne um, really takes him to town on it. The, the last five, the, uh, it's, it's a dumb joke, but the last five minutes are golden. <laughs> you know, I, just, I know, I know not everybody likes watching their stuff or they, you know, a lot of our audience might not feel that they're technical enough or what have you, but they're entertaining. Their stuff is really entertaining sometimes. They do. They so, have uh, a good composition. I almost worked for Linus once. Uh oh. We were talking, but it would require me moving to Vancouver, which okay. I couldn't do. So yeah. um, he, he wanted a, a technical person on staff because he, he no, he's, he's a very smart guy. He fully admits where his knowledge is lacking. Oh, yeah. No, no. He's he's not one of the people that pretends that he yeah. understands things that he doesn't. But um, it's um, I respect him a lot. I, for it. I, I, I've 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 emailed back and forth with Anthony Young mm -hmm. quite a fair bit. And that guy knows his stuff. So more and you know he no he's he, he's good. He, he also gets the most love from the audience. It sounds like yeah he does yeah he's very liked well. Liked, no, I I remember seeing when uh when I first saw him like start to pop up in the videos and I was like you know what this is this is a really good match he he's you know yeah. kind of what they need yeah for um, sure. I've seen Linus popping up in ubiquity doorbell cam you know, videos and things little advertisements and I'm like I I, I watched his ubiquity wireless. Um, point to point video, and yeah, I, I've been tempted to actually do a proper video for something like that technology because, as somebody in the industry, <laughs> I I had a hard time watching that video. It's like oh, so many wrong things. <laughs> to to but, be yeah, fair though, it's... but it was entertaining, and that was the point, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, I've always told Linus if he knew five percent more, he could explain it hundred percent better. And he fully agrees with that. Right. But it's, it's, I, it, at least he acknowledges he doesn't know he, what, what, he, what he doesn't know. Um, I, fair play to him. I, uh, I remember one of the videos that he did um, was when he tried to set up Wi-Fi in, uh, in that warehouse that they had. I think they moved to something different now or they built up that, that warehouse a lot. But he like couldn't get the signal and they like kept breaking the routers over and over again. <laughs> that, was, that was good stuff. That was entertaining. Um, that and the people in the comments who were, you know, like IT people who were very angry at what he was doing. It was great. <laughs> it's, it's, um, Linus is one of the people I want to do on my, uh, Ian's interview series. Cause I, I, I think, I think one, it'd be an interesting discussion because Linus and I, we've known each other for years. We've had dinners together, what have you. Um, and as it's, I think I can bamboozle him enough to make it funny, but also in, make it informative enough that people will think it's good content. Because mm -hmm. um, it would be a bit different from, say, interviewing, you know, Elisa Sue or whatever. Where it has to be so, pretty serious the whole way through, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, Linus, you're financially stable. What are you going to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> <laughs> What's it like driving a Lamborghini? <laughs> I actually have so, a video of me driving one. So, <laughs> so I mean, on to sort of the, the thing that everybody is probably already aware of and have read already. Um, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that we kind of have to talk Let's about anyways that we already right kind of covered. Um. 
here's the part we're gonna ask you the gotcha questions about how dare you um, how dare i um, but no, so I mean, you you reviewed the uh, the i7 11700K. Uh, See, I I hate these these names so much. The 10 series just it it just doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, you you reviewed you know Rocket Lake, and um, I mean you you showed a lot of of interesting things there. Um, the thing that I saw most pop up in in the responses were people shocked that there was a regression in gaming performance compared to previous mm-hmm. Intel chips. Um, care to explain to to I guess the the less technical audience what's going on and and maybe a deeper explanation to the more technical audience? Right. So, it the reason we think why that happens, uh, why there's a regression in performance, um, is due to how the processor core fetches instructions and data from main memory. Okay. So it so when you fetch an instruction, it goes through several layers of faster cache. And if you're in the instruction you need isn't in your closest cache, then you go further out and then you go further out. And the idea is that as you go further out, the caches are bigger, but they're also slower. Mm-hmm. Until you get to main memory where it's like takes 300 CPU cycles to actually get anything from. And you'd much rather have the CPU core doing work than not doing work. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you design a CPU core, you know, it, depending on how you've designed the caches, that kind of sort of dictates the speed on how those instructions and data can be fetched and how they can be processed. Mm-hmm. Now, with Rocket Lake, what we're seeing is a regression in that caching performance. Mm-hmm. Because while it was good with Ice Lake, which is what the core is based on, but mm-hmm. backported to 14 nanometer, there are inherent inefficiencies you have to get around just because of the fact that you have a bigger core. So Intel technically said that they were expecting a 2.7x density increase going from 14 to 10. So if you go from 10 to 14, then your CPU size increases by 270%. Well, not really, but you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, even though it, everything is bigger, you might think, well, can't you just put it on a photocopier and make it bigger? It's more complicated than that because electrons still move at the same speed, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to put in buffers to manage this extra latency. And that is essentially where we we think we're getting extra latency in that cache structure from. Um, So what does this mean for games? If you remember back to Ryzen 5000 launch, AMD's big plus one in its gaming performance was we have a unified L3 cache. It is much bigger. Your effective cache latency, so the average time to fetch an instruction from anywhere in cache or memory is lower because we have larger caches nearer to the core. Mm -hmm. Now, the effective cache latency with Intel on Rocket Lake seems to be lower than it is on Comet Lake, the 10th gen part. And as a result of that, that has had a knock-on effect where we're getting at 1080p max either equal or slightly behind in the mm-hmm. frame rates. Or if you go down into some of the you know, more stupid resolutions, the 720p lows, um, you're actually seeing them spread out a little bit more. And you sometimes see the 11700K behind the 10700K. Mm-hmm. Um, because of this regression, now... 
there are optimizations that can be had at the software level that could help this. In we're still quite a few weeks away from launch, so other things can happen that can help mm -hmm. performance. Um, you could see motherboard manufacturers who see this results change their BIOSes to mm -hmm. move more um, frequency into the cache structures, into the interconnect, into the uncore to help make it go faster. Mm -hmm. Lots of little tweaks that are still yet to be announced that could be could be made as well. And people on the internet will say it's your fault and you're wrong if these things change at launch because it's the internet. So things always change. It's always a question of how much and in mm -hmm. which direction. I mean, I Ryzen mean, first gen changed a lot for between launch and you know, yeah, months down and the when, road. When when Anand reviewed Sandy Bridge five months early, mm -hmm. it changed a lot between so, launch between that review and launch. When Tom's Hardware reviewed, was it ninth gen? There was some updates between there and then. It's it's a, it's always a question of where, how much, what direction, and why. Mm -hmm. If you can get somebody to answer the why, then that's always the key the key metric. So. Yeah, I mean, people people can't really buy these yet, mm -hmm. so it's going to be always going to be an ongoing story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it, so it's it's interesting that you brought up uh, Ryzen five thousand and the cache and concerned mm -hmm. with gaming. Um, I've I've heard some really uh, interesting uh, takes that people have had. Some of them are a little odd, and some of them are are really uh, well done. Um, one of the ones that I heard that kind of I, I kind of disagreed with was somebody saying something about how um, the fact that uh, developers develop games with Intel in mind that has a lower cache system that really high amounts of L3 cache don't help, which I mean, like I can prove that that's not true. Um, like you could just look at the performance differences between between the different ships uh, but what do you what do you think is is um like here's a better way of putting it from the understanding that you have from the software side um is there really a point where you can have too much cash no but okay, well, okay. Uh, it, it's it's <laughs> um without getting so, absurd so, like so so so, so, so yes yeah if you had a terabyte of level one cash that doesn't it's, do anything. Yeah. That but. doesn't do anything if your game is only twenty gig. Um, but <laughs> it's uh, the, 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 so the the point is finding a right balance mm -hmm. because if you if if your cache doubles in size, whether L one, L two, L three, it actually gets it it's it takes longer to traverse the cache to find mm -hmm. the data you want. So mm -hmm. Intel with Ice Lake. So Ice Lake, they increased the size of the L1 cache from 32 kilobytes to 48 kilobytes. Mm. Now, it used to be a four-cycle cache. Now, it's a five-cycle cache because they mm. need the extra cycle to ensure that they that can you, grab. Get, get these now, it, it's, in some instructions, they can do in four cycles because that's just how it works. Mm -hmm. But most, you know, worst case is five. And when you see these cache latency measurements, it's usually you know worst case. So mm -hmm. it's you, you have to balance increasing the size of your cache with the latency, mm -hmm. and then you also you got bandwidth. And there there are engineers who literally spend years and years just designing a cache mm -hmm. for a CPU for somebody to go play Minecraft. I, I think the other thing that people also don't seem to understand is that it's not so easy to necessarily just add more cash. 
Like there's a lot that goes into uh, trying to make it all work. You you can't just go ahead one day and click the double the cash button but or it's, triple it's, it, the cash button. It's also floor plan, right? Um, mm-hmm. How you design the CPU in 2D. So if your L2 cache was suddenly went from 256K to 512K, well, though you've got to find double the space to put it in. Well, if the way your core is designed with all the execution ports and the buffers um, and the micro-op cache, and if you don't have the physical space to double your L2, then you have to redesign your core in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's... I'm assuming unless you can get density changes in smaller nodes. Which we don't see. If you go to a smaller node, you're doing a new design anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's just part, part of the co-design. And then you're also dealing with the foundry who's making your chip. Mm-hmm. What are their transistor libraries like? What are their SRAM libraries like? You know, and how does that translate to uh, yield? Because you, you might use a, a less dense library, mm-hmm. which will help you drive higher frequency. Because mm-hmm. the densest libraries, the numbers that we hear, like 100 million transistors per square millimeter, that's literally for the densest transistors. There's mm-hmm. actually sub-libraries out for if you want more performance-oriented transistors. And they're, you know, 80 million, 60 million, 40 million. And they all, you know, operate at different voltages and use different amount of powers as well. So it's it's lots of moving parts. It's I think um, Charlie Demersion from Semi-Accurate actually told me a good story once on this. It's like having a box with a thousand levers, but if you change one, three three others shift. So you've got to find the right combination of levers as it affects everything else to find it, it's 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 local minimization optimization mathematically. But mm-hmm. it's I mean this is also why Intel and Nvidia and AMD and everybody else goes through A zero silicon and B zero silicon and B one silicon. Because, I mean, if you've ever done any coding, how many times do you press run to see if it makes sure it doesn't fault, right? You only get mm-hmm. four choices, chances to do that on a modern CPU. <laughs> you got to choose carefully. I, I'm so. assuming they have some, some really powerful simulation software that can help with at least some of the physical problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 so, it's, it's what are called EDA tools. Circling back to the, you know... See, this guy's this is what Lake. you don't get from, from other guests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So circling back to Rocket Lake, you know, in terms of uh, its performance and stuff, as you said, there will be software optimizations to, to mitigate some of the, the issues that you think you're seeing yep. there. How much of an impact do you think those will have? Obviously, there's no way to know for sure, but, you know, as an educated guess, I would say. I mean... So, so I mean, you, you could argue this two ways, right? It's mm-hmm. you could either argue, well, it's a backported Ice Lake, so mm-hmm. you're going to get. So it's essentially Ice Lake, and anything Ice Lake already has, you can use. You can use that as the point of optimization, and therefore most of the optimizations are already out there. Right. Or you can take take it from the point of, well, actually, this is a new core design because it's on a different node. So therefore, you have all the additional learnings to do from having a new physical design. And they can be optimized for, and you could argue that that would that would give a larger benefit, say in firmware optimizations. If you're just purely talking about software game optimizations, then it's more likely that anything that was relevant in Ice Lake is just going to be relevant here. So, right. Um. So, 
I, I wanted to get a uh, another Intel topic though off. Um, what do you what do you think about the future of Alder Lake versus Zen Four? I mean, I know that's a way off. <laughs> what do I think about the future of computing? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, it's a really vague question, but I mean, you know, again, we're we're talking about moving over to to a new motherboard platform for AMD. Um, for mm-hmm. Intel as well, I believe. Yeah. But AMD yeah, is definitely AMD. moving over to DDR uh, DDR5. Has um, that been confirmed Intel, I'm not sure one? if I'm not sure if AMD. I'm sorry, AMD. I'm pretty sure is moving to DDR5, and Intel seems like they might be doing a mixed bag again. At least that's what the rumors are saying. Um, well, and there's a lot so of it, sort of changes that are going to happen. So mo- most most launches where you change DDR. You typically mm-hmm. have a generation that supports both. Mm-hmm. So with Skylake, like they did we moved, last time. Well, so Skylake, we moved from DDR3 to DDR4. Mm-hmm. I have, I literally have a board five inches away from me that does both DDR3 and DDR4 for Skylake. Is it, it is it DDR3 or is it DDR uh, low, uh, the the laptop print? DDR3 L or something. Uh, low power. It doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really doesn't. Um, so, but that, so that, 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 that was actually a, that was actually an engineering sample board that a vendor sent me because I asked for it about a month okay. before launch. Okay. Uh, I don't so think that, it ever made it to market. Um, but yeah, that could totally aren't be Aren't they keyed differently? That that yeah, they are. So it had two slots for one and two slots for the other. Yeah, it has different <laughs> memory channels. Yeah, so I mean, it's... And, different uh, memory it, the, Even the enterprise CPUs, there were some variants that would support both ddr3 and ddr4 um you could argue well amd went to ddr4 with am4 but that's because they did for a while it it was it was a brand new platform it wasn't having to support anything legacy um so they didn't need to do double there they weren't having people moving over that needed Mm -hmm. support for both although i think even amd did support ddr2 and ddr3 on the same socket right Yeah. yeah, that that was back in AM two AM three days. Yeah. yeah, because that was because that was the same platform being updated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the say the same sorts of architecture. So, um, you could you could argue that simply if if both are going to DDR five, then both will just support DDR five. But there may be the enterprise stuff might be a bit more varied. I guess. I uh, I yeah. also had one of my friends. They told me that they were going to wait for uh, for Zen four so they can get the DDR4 memory, or I'm sorry, DDR5 memory, and I was like, I mean, yeah, I'm like, I'm just going to give you a bit of warning. He's like, what? Like, you're complaining about the pricing that we're having now. GPUs might normalize by that time, but RAM's going to be really expensive. (laughs) So, so, um, I fully expect that, remember all the issues we had with memory on Ryzen first gen? Mm -hmm. We'll Mm -hmm. probably have it with DDR5 if ddr5 is coming to market i mean it's it's kind of the right inception point i'm 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 sure i've reported on it before but mm-hmm. predictions that by the end of the year ddr5 will be about 10 percent of the market mm-hmm. that's a lot but but that is a whole that's lot, that that's mostly enterprise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're the ones going to move to it first for sure oh yeah for for unreleased platforms probably yeah or mm-hmm. Hyperscalers Google who and the Amazons of the world. 
Well, I mean, if 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 Google gets a million Sapphire Rapid CPUs, they're going to need some DDR5 memory, aren't they? Yeah, and and that run it. Yeah, and and that could easily that could easily be ten, you know, ten hardware production just going to Google. Um, so, and then at the end of next year, I think they were thinking about maybe it'll be fifty-fifty crossover between DDR4 DDR5 because obviously the consumer platforms come in. So. Put that in your hat when you think about what DDR the next generation will support, right? So if 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 Alder Lake comes out in September for desktop with DDR5, mm. given what I've just said, do you think there'll be any DDR5 in the consumer market? No, no, that's they, actually a really you. fair point. That's a really fair point. So 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 do I think Intel is going to come out with Alder Lake in September for desktop? Okay. The one that, so so you, you, uh, everybody saw the CES demo where Greg Bryant showed off the old Lake platform running Windows. Um, if you zoom into the motherboard, it obviously looks like one of their internal motherboard designs with mm. all the extra features that they need for probes. Um, what they didn't tell you is they do that for laptop chips as well. That is what they call a CRB, a consumer reference board or design. And that could easily have a laptop chip in there. And usually, and, wow. and they didn't specify. Usually, with Intel, like coming, yeah. Usually with Intel, their laptop chips will be on the previous memory, like whatever. Even if, like if DDR5 comes out by the end of the year, most Intel laptops are still going to be DDR4 or some version of it. So, I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, Tiger Lake technically supports LP DDR5. Does it? Yeah. Though, 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 we haven't got a clear answer whether that is the same silicon or you have to have a different silicon. So, but yes, it's it's the question of Alder Lake. I mean, I said I'd do a video on my thoughts on Alder Lake, um, but the the high level is I don't think it will come to desktop this year. Um. So, um, I, I think you know the the Dort audience are really big AMD uh, supporters or. You know, AMD buyers and a lot of people came to the channel because of his videos on uh, Ryzen processors. And you know, really, because all you can see behind me is Intel and Nvidia. Uh oh. <laughs> but to be fair, I, I we, wanted to we ask can't you, tell what CPUs those are just by the video. Yeah, no, we we can't tell the <laughs> CPUs. We can see the. I mean, I could see the Founders Edition. Like I could tell yeah. it's a Founders Edition card. But um, I have to hide you, that when I have a meeting with AMD. <laughs> You just throw sorry, a sorry. Over you, you, you I wouldn't your... see why they use NVIDIA cards in their testing, too. <laughs> At least I, they did. Is, I put special boxes in front. Oh, wow. That's rude. <laughs> no, no. Funny... In, in front of the card, not in front of me. Oh, okay. In... <laughs> um, anyway, sorry story. to your question. One of the... Uh... Uh, yeah, for the question. Um, so a lot of people are curious as to how much, you know... Rise uh, Zen Four will be able to improve performance. Um, and, you know, the, oh, whether we're topping out at IPC or something. I mean, I'm just, I'm just curious as how much, how much you think they have to go with this architecture without a, uh, like, how much of a redesign do you think this is? Yeah. Well, so I mean, going from Zen Two to Zen Three, mm -hmm. while it's Zen. It's AMD said, well, look, we completely redes redesign the core, you know, fresh mm -hmm. sheet of paper, round mm -hmm. up, 
Um, some comments as to, well, actually, this is what Jim Keller thought it would be from when he started, right? This is what he put to paper. Because um, what, what, what they've been able to do with the execution ports and splitting out, you know, doing loads and stores independently and, um, you know, doubling areas of performance by just managing that level. Um, mm-hmm. Go, you know, going forward, um, usually a big a big driver on this, if you're not specifically going for IPC, is smaller process nodes. So who knows what um, Zen 4 is going to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's more transistor budget, you can expect to see more accelerators um, designed to you know, help improve encoding, crypto. Um, Uh-oh. No, not that sort of crypto. <laughs> Uh, just AES. Uh, so, so funny thing. Um, SHA two fifty six, another crypto algorithm. AMD has an accelerator. Via has an accelerator. Intel has only just got an accelerator, and it's really? called the AVX five twelve unit. <laughs> so oh, it's wow. very power hungry as well. So, wait, wait. So Via. So in Via. some of my benchmarking. I have an eight-core Via CPU on SHA-256 <laughs> absolutely trouncing 28-core Intel, Intel processors. All right, all right. Now you've, given, now you've given some of the comment section some ammo to yell at Intel fans now. Well, you've no, because, because Intel now have that acceleration, so. Fair enough. An AVX-512, which AMD doesn't have yet, right? <laughs> well, yeah, it's... So the whole thing about AVX 512, it's you know AMD hasn't been too committal on it. It's 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 like they they kind of see that they want to support it, they just don't want to commit silicon to it. So you know how they supported AVX 256 by splitting up into two AVX 128 commands, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, chances are we'll probably see that again. That's the most likely way that AMD is going to implement AVX 512. And okay, it provides some acceleration for the workloads that can use it, but how much adoption of AVX 512 are we going to have? The one thing I've been banging on at Intel for since they launched it is, well, keep giving me a list of how many programs are using it and how much is worthwhile. And some of them they can't talk about because it's HPC and, I guess, nuclear simulation for Department of Defense. Um, but it's I, the- I would, to, to play devil's advocate when they when they do that kind of stuff, Sure. I would assume that the audience that is looking for benchmarks on this stuff, the people who work at DOD and are looking at these sort of physics, would know what they need. And they wouldn't need you to explain to them what they need. They just need results that are in AVX 512. Well, and they would have a direct line to Intel's CEO to ask for said feature, which is probably yeah. why we got them in Intel chips so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and they've been testing it for six months before we even knew that it existed anyway, so... Yeah, yeah. But you know, in terms of Zen four performance, um, if you've got more transistors, then we go down the route of large caches, larger micro op caches, mm-hmm. um, wider execution engines, wider wider buffers, mm-hmm. um, better branch predictors, so minimizing um, you know failed branches. Um, so I mean. Uh, Intel, uh, sorry, AMD made a big fuss with uh, Zen 2 about its, you know, L2 Tage branch predictor. So implementing the latest generation of branch prediction. Intel is usually really 
um, proud of its branch predictor and it won't tell anybody how it works. You have to kind of reverse engineer it, which is hard. Well, it leaks um, data. That's how it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you've got multiple threads, I guess. Um, Just turn off hyperthreading. You'll be fine. Ah, <laughs> They tried that for a generation. It's, yeah, so, I mean, it's... The, 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 the thing to note is eventually we'll hit an instruction level parallelism limit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it gets difficult because you can have all the resources in the world, um, but if you can't run things faster than the fastest they can run. So if you get to that point, then, yeah, it's just cause upon cause doing fancy acceleration. But people would argue we're nowhere near that yet. Because to be to be that mm-hmm. close, you have to have everything in L1. Everything has mm-hmm. to be ready instantly. You have you have to be extracting as much um, as many instructions per clock as possible. Um, and you know, consumer workloads do a bad job of that anyway. That's why when you see when you look at IPC gains when you compare processors, um, you have to actually use workloads that actually don't sit around waiting for the processors. Because mm-hmm. then you won't see any uplift whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Whatsoever. So, you, well, whenever AMD or Intel do a launch and they say, you know, average or up to 19% IPC increase, they always do that kind of graph with all the benchmarks, right? And mm-hmm. some of it, it's you know, 40%. Some of it's 2%, because mm-hmm. that's the nature of the workload. Mm-hmm. Um, people get stuck on that 90% number. I mean, one of the things we do at Nantech is try and verify that 90% number, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, you know, we do understand that some of it's only two percent, and there are optimizations you can do for that. Where some you you sacrifice performance in some tests to get higher in others. And mm-hmm. the good, good thing about spec is you can't cherry pick. So, um, from I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the other thing that I want to talk to you about is is specifically with Alder Lake. That's that's where my okay. point was going. Um, what do you think about the the fact that it's going to have mixed x86 and ARM cores? Do, do you see that being sort of a um, more of a thing in the future? Do you see this happening, or do you see this as sort of it's, a... it's they're, they're both x86 yeah, they're, cores. Yeah, I'm sorry, they're both 86 cores. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, with the big little Adam format, like the way that Adam and cores. So, so first thing is, um, I hate the word big little, because that is ARM's technical marketing term for yes. their heterogeneous yeah. architecture five years ago. Right. Somehow it stuck around. I just call it's it heterogeneous. So, it, I guess. <laughs> hy- hybrid processing or heterogeneous mm-hmm. processing, I guess. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got I got stuck on the terminology. Do, do you do you think you'll see this a lot more? Do you think you'll see stuff like this happen? Do you think this will be uh, and do you th- think this will be really relevant for desktop use? Useful, yeah. I yeah. So my issue, I don't have an issue with heterogeneous computing. Um, it makes sense in the markets that it's obviously succeeded in. Mm-hmm. The problem I have with Alder Lake is Windows. <laughs> Okay. Right. So, so, so we have had heterogeneous computing on Windows for five years with the Windows on Snapdragon ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, it's ARM cores. It's not x86 cores. So Windows had to rebuild, you know, on ARM. Um, mm-hmm. But Windows 10 was built in mind with processors having a homogenous 
CPU layout. It mm -hmm. can go to any core. Work any workload can go to any core. Um, it's changed a little bit because we've got now preferred cores that where workloads tend to go towards, um, or more efficient cores where workloads prefer to go to. Um, with with a heterogeneous design, you have to become so much more accurate with where you put your threads when a workload is requested. And you also have less opportunity for variation between preferred cores, which makes it more, which it's, it's you're compounding the, where does a thread go with multiple mm -hmm. layers? Whereas with a, with, with, you know, say a standard core i7 7700K, you have four homogenous cores and it can go anywhere and all cores will turbo. That's mm -hmm. that, it, that's one layer, and everything does it. With 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 uh, hybrid architectures, you really have to manage that properly. And Windows 10 wasn't built for it. So when so and Microsoft's been working with Qualcomm and to get it right for years. Uh, I mean, the Windows on Snapdragon platform, while really good for battery life, has other issues, mm -hmm. um, namely namely. Uh, Google Drive file stream doesn't work properly. I really need that for my work. But I, I've tried using those devices. I just I can't. I'm gonna be honest with you. I Apple just... Apple really showed them up with those M1 Max men. Well, like... so, so 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 Apple works because they control their own software ecosystem. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, ecosystem. they well, it's it's it's. I would argue it's the software ecosystem, right? Because they can fully redesign Mac OS from the ground up under a completely different paradigm and people will just think it's another update. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it just works. Mm -hmm. With Microsoft, it tends to come piecemeal. Nobody wants to download another 20 gigabyte Windows update. What's this? You can't simply go, well, okay, Windows 20H2 is, is for modern cores and Windows 21H1 or 22H2 when they might get this sorted out. You know, that's the one you need for heterogeneous compute. When when it comes out, it's going to be a bugger to test. Um, okay, it's going to be it's going to be a problem for benchmarkers because how do you ensure that your workload that you're benchmarking is on the cores you want? I think that's part of I think that's part of why it will be so interesting. And you can point out that this is kind of what you're walking into. You know what? So so so. Uh, the correct answer for benchmarking is you set your processor affinity. I mean, well, yeah, yes, but and, and average it, home user it, is not going to go and pick no. your processor. I think no, that no, would be the maybe. fun thing to do, though, is to compare doing that with also running the thing out of the box and seeing how good Windows is at flubbing it up. Well, yeah, it's it's yeah. so so take so, so take your Cinebench score. You have your Minimum, so you just run it on the small cores. You have your maximum, you just run it on the big cores, and then you have the what is it out of the box. So now, my testing and your testing is just it's even more. Yeah. And what do you do about overclocking? What's overclocking? <laughs> you don't overclock these. What? <laughs> it's yeah. That 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 I I have to I the the smart way to do it is to remove it. The second smart way to do it is only allow it on the big cores. Mm -hmm. um, the smart it's... thing for a lot of people is to just not get involved with it. But for people like you know 
you and me. We probably can't avoid it. <laughs> well, PBO so... and boost, and you'll be fine. PBO. Uh, 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 another problem for me is that Alder Lake, um, as far as we know, it's what an eight plus eight design, mm-hmm. right? Which is effectively an eight core design mm-hmm. for performance. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what, the rumors I've heard is there will be some SKUs that don't have the small cores, some no, SKUs but, that have half the small cores or something. But, like, but even then, if you're comparing it to the competition, well, they're on sixteen cores. True cores, yeah. So, 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 so and. Intel's come out with a 10-core desktop chip, so they're now staying on 8-cores. They're going to market it as a 16-core chip, but performance, it's an 8-core chip. And it will so, always be... Yeah, here's, here's kind of the problem that you have with that when you're benchmarking. Do you compare it to the competitor's 8-core chip or the competitor's 16-core chip, or do you compare it with the one that's priced, you know, priced competitively? Which is probably going to be the 16-core the, the or the 12-core. For Intel, Probably they're gonna to want it. They're gonna want you to compare it to whatever they can beat. That's just <laughs> everybody does that, though. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. yeah no, that's just... my, 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 my answer is compare it to the eight core. Mm-hmm. My immediate answer. That's what I'd say. Right. Um, but it's a lot yeah, of other factors it's... that come into play. I mean, it's it, it could very well that there's you know a sixteen core chip coming and whatever. It's we don't know about it yet. So <laughs> that's, I've, uh, I've got a. I've got a question from uh, Noman. He, he messaged me privately for this one. We uh, oh, giving him. We keep ignoring him. Yep, <laughs> yep. We blocked. We blocked him. And that's what happened that's today. What we said you can't come for, up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, are you giving? Are you giving staff special stream privileges now? Uh oh. Well, that's why you're here, right? <laughs> so, so the question that he had was, "What do you think of the Nvidia and ARM uh, acquisition?" And do you think that ARM is the future? Uh, Noamon is our mobile guy, so yeah, he's, he's um, pretty. Well, he's pretty I mean, big on the ARM is the future. It's it's well, I mean, when it was officially announced, I had my reservations because Jensen doesn't like to play nice with license IP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you remember that um, Nvidia had the was it the Acera modem business that they just wanted to license out, and they just kind of kind of tried to be like an IP troll kind of thing. Um, with it and it just died and nobody in the end nobody wanted it and you know and they've had their own tegra stuff and whatever um so the only way i think the acquisition would work is if and if is if jensen was hands off kind of like in the way that amd has said that they'll be hands off with xilinx when that goes through right Mm -hmm. um but there's all you know we've seen that there's obviously regulatory issues now with NVIDIA and ARM and GraphCore of all people are complaining. Um, GraphCore is an AI chip company based in Bristol in the UK. Mm-hmm. Nice people. Um, I've, I've met with them a few times. Uh, it just seems a bit weird that they're the ones that are initially objecting. Um, you know, kind of canary in a cage, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there are reservations where there are actually clear regulatory issues. Um, where, what what it means for NVIDIA is if they do code, I mean, NVIDIA chips already have tons of ARM cores in microcontrollers and, uh, has NVIDIA been playing risk five? Who knows? Um, so, I mean, they, they, they're already an IP licensee. They've probably even got, you know, an architecture license. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you could say, well, they could, they could have moved on and put ARM cores in their GPUs already. It's, 
So I don't think anything changes on that front. The fact that they've purchased the company. So people saying, well, you know, Nvidia's not going to, you know, if Nvidia doesn't support x86 anymore and tries to do its own route and muscle into the market against Intel and it's yeah, no, I don't see it happening. It's I felt it was a weird purchase. I mean, mm -hmm. ARM makes money. There's no denying that. Um, uh, you could argue that SoftBank tried to make ARM to do too much, and that's why they're now offloading it, mm -hmm. because they need the money back. Um, I remember speaking to ARM people back when the SoftBank acquisition was just announced, and I said, well, what is SoftBank doing with a, you know, what are you, are you getting a fresh injection of money? And the spokesperson I spoke to said, well, in the past where we had, say, two projects on the go, we now can have seven projects on the go. We won't complete those projects any quicker, but we'll just be able to do more. Because it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it, it takes nine months for, to, to give birth to a child. You can't just add people to make childbirth quicker, right? Seven men filling a bath with six pails, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so... The, the the best I think the best situation for the market is if Nvidia bought if Nvidia purchased ARM, or if it goes through and then just left them to their own devices and just gave them some extra money, because um, I I would hope that's what happens. I I'm a so, little suspicious. So because the question of whether or not Nvidia just sees ARM as another revenue stream to leave at its own devices and keep running, or if they actually want to see some vertical integration happen within Nvidia. Between I mean Nvidia. it's. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there's some synergies to be done between R and D, sure. Um, and but I argue, you know, they're two different product lines, and they can go down that route. Um, one of the big jump, one of the big uh, drivers for ARM and Nvidia together recently has been CUDA on ARM. Mm -hmm. So enabling um, high performance computing with using Nvidia GPUs but ARM CPUs. Mm -hmm. So we're now seeing those sorts of servers come into the market, particularly you know at the more of the hyperscalers. But um, machine learning, you don't mm -hmm. you no longer need to buy a twenty-five thousand dollar fifty-six core Intel CPU <laughs> or, or one of their 10, 10 grand ones. You can buy Ampere's Ultra eighty-core ARM Neoverse N one chip, yeah, which is the competitor to Amazon's Graviton two. Right. And both those companies have multi-year roadmaps for their processes, and there are other things coming in as well. So it's, um, you know, that, but, but that was going to happen anyway, regardless of the acquisition. So Yeah, because, I mean, it, it, NVIDIA yeah. is an ARM license holder. They didn't need to buy ARM in order to continue to use their design. It, it's, it's, what you could argue is that if they, so if they went and put, say, the equivalent of a smartphone SOC inside an Ampere GPU, mm -hmm. so you wouldn't so you wouldn't need a host processor like an x86 processor, mm -hmm. right? You could argue they would have done that without needing to purchase them. But what mm -hmm. purchasing yes. them has done is put them in contact with all of ARM's partners who do that sort of stuff, right? Yes. So maybe there's an ARM partner out there which makes sense to work with to put that. SOC equivalent in the GPU, but then they could have purchased that company without having to purchase ARM. Um, you see mm -hmm. where I'm going here. It's it. The, it, it, yeah. it may just be that if they're planning to integrate ARM more into their you know CP into their GPUs, 
you wouldn't want it to just be a, ma- a situation of, well, ARM could just decide to completely change how they do things. But even then, like... You can control the roadmap if you own them, which helps. Yeah. Well, and but it's wouldn't it be like a profit thing as well? If they know well, they're yeah. going to do something fairly groundbreaking and it could cause ARM to gain a lot of revenue, then wouldn't you want to get into them while they're cheaper to purchase? Could do. I mean, it could also be like a patent thing. Like NVIDIA wants to use some patents and rather than cross-license or just license them, they just purchase mm-hmm. the company. Like That's the thing. And Radeon? Yeah. Yeah, and C-Micro as well. Um, mm-hmm. But don't forget, NVIDIA just purchased Mellanox. Mm-hmm. Right? And and you could argue, well, NVIDIA and Mellanox could have just worked together to design those uh, Bluefield DPUs, which, which I think is actually a Mellanox product just renamed. Um, so this is all sort of using GPUs and inter-network connectivity inside the data center. Mm-hmm. Um, purchasing them means that they kind of have said, well, okay, we want this technology to ourselves. None of our competitors can use it. You can't do that with ARM because ARM's model is licensing. They don't sell products. They sell licenses. Yep. So it's it's a completely different sort of acquisition that way. So that that's how I see this acquisition of ARM. It's ARM has to go somewhere because um, SoftBank don't want them. Mm-hmm. I would argue that while NVIDIA has the money, I worry that NVIDIA will interfere too much. Um, I wish Jim was here to start yelling. Why? <laughs> um, I mean, have you have you seen some of Jim's uh, Jim's videos on NVIDIA and their their business practices? I've <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a video of him pointing at a PC case. <laughs> it's a great video, it, by the way. It's it, 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 it's 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 now an emoji on the Discord. Yep. Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, yes, it is. It's the one I use the most. <laughs> we did great effort on retrieving that picture. <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 deep somewhere in the channel. If you guys are uh, are willing enough to, to try to find it somewhere, uh, we won't give you a gift, but you know we'll we'll give you like a thumbs up. Become Patreon members, and you too can use the Jim pointing at a PC case emoji. Um. So. The final question I kind of wanted to ask is a question that we've been hearing about for God, 10 years now, 15 years now, because, you know, silicon is always right on the edge and we're always getting ready to find all these new things that are going to be better than silicon. What do you think is after silicon? And how long do you think that is? I will quote Jim Keller and simply okay. say they'll work it out. <laughs> that, 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 that is literally his answer. You know, it's, it's people predicting the end of Moore's law for 20, 30 years. Now they just work it out. That literally his response if you're asking that. Um, so, I mean, si- 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 silicon is silicon. It's, it's all about what you put in it and what you put around it that matters. You know, and we've had, you know, high K metal gay and fin fat and we're moving to gay all around fats. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the... A lot of the really fun conferences I go to are the really technical um, silicon manufacturing ones because they talk about um, 3.5 transistors. They talk about 2D transistors. Um, 2D transistors are fascinating because you get something like a 
um, molybdenum sulfide sheet, MOS2. Um, so you think of molecules as just bouncing around, and then you think mm -hmm. of solids as being masses of, massive arrays of molecules. This is a chemist coming out at me. Mm -hmm. um, MOS2. PhD guy coming out. MOS2 is literally uh, two atoms high, and it forms like a truss structure, like on a bridge. Yeah. Okay. But it's completely flat, like like like, like a graphite. graphite. But you okay. can use it like a transistor material. Wow. So so so, and that uh, somebody's going to correct me. They've got that down to 0.25 nanometers. Wow. Oh wow. Wow. The question is, can you build it properly? Can you build it at scale? Does it have the right properties to be a transistor? Can you enable it and drive it with the same currents to get the same performance as current silicon, right? Mm -hmm. It's lot, lot, lots of... Semiconductors is one of those industries where if you have a replacement technology, it has to be as good as what it's replacing. Yes. The thing is, yes. what it's replacing has had 30, 40 years of optimizations. Mm -hmm. so, what, so it's hard to just so, come out and beat it. Yeah. it's yeah. You, you have to, it, it would be easier to come out with some of these things if we were only 10 years into the semiconductor journey. Because then, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I sometimes mean, I think some of these, some of these new techniques will only come about once we do reach that end of silicon. But like I say, things like 2D transistors are already being looked into. Photons okay. instead of electrons, carbon nanotubes. Uh, so, <laughs> well, one, one, one video I want to make um, is, is, is about a company that I actually interviewed after Hot Chips last year. Not interviewed, I just had a meeting with. Um, I won a $50 Amazon gift card in their raffle, so I thought well, I might as well listen to them for 20 minutes. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's like timeshares or whatever. How many of those are at are, are at hot chips? Uh, I, 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 what companies or Amazon vouchers? I, just people giving stuff away like that. Uh, I only saw two, and I won both, so I'm quite happy. Nice. Um, well, actually, just, I, they, yeah, they I'm pretty sure like I was the, the only one that entered. Um, <laughs> But so no, so so this company they're called um, Zero Zero EC. So you remember when AMD launched first gen Epic, and they were talking about energy transfers between the Zeppelin dies and trying to minimize the power of mm -hmm. transfer. Mm -hmm. Do you by chance remember what those numbers were? No, not at so, all. So 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 they were talking in terms of anywhere from two to nine petajoules per bit. Okay. So tiny amount of energy to transfer one bit one bit of data. Well, obviously you're transferring megabytes, so it scales up by you know, nine up, orders yeah. of magnitude. Yeah. Um, if you do the math on what energy an electron takes to transfer across a wire, mm -hmm. you can work out how many electrons you have to transfer for that one bit. Mm -hmm. And it's anywhere in the order of uh, you know ten thousand to over a million, right? This company was saying that they can create channels where they can transfer a bit with one electron, or less than a hundred at least. They designed a technology where they could transport an electron in a vacuum, and it register the voltage change required to identify a bit. So arguably reducing wow. connectivity power. By a factor of a million. Now, there's just, there's just two problems with their technology. 
so 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 they 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 designed the vacuum essentially the sub one nanometer vacuum in silicon, and they had because obviously you you imagine electron as a particle, it's just going to bounce around in that space. So they had a coating which would keep the electron internal. They also managed to design it so it can go around corners as well, which is fantastic. Uh, the only two problems they had were generating the electrons and detecting the electrons. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, 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 so they, they 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 could do it with massive, you know, semiconductor massive structures, um, which don't scale to millions of transistors or millions of wires. And they said, you know, the role, the goal of going to hot chips, is to speak, discuss with companies or with press. Um, to enable them to, you know, develop partnerships that could help miniaturize this technology, because obviously, one of the big things with um, AMD's Threadrippers and Epics, and we'll see with uh, Intel, I'm sure, is that they're spending so much energy transferring data, they can't use the energy for compute. Every watt you use on I/O, you can't use it on compute. Mm -hmm. So if you can reduce I/O by a factor million to essentially nothing then that's a you big suddenly deal. have yeah yeah that's and big... yeah you know this is this is a uh, i think it was a startup coming out of university which these things in, invariably are so mm -hmm. um i mean you know the the uh the thing that i always respected about um engineers is they'll hear some really interesting thing they'll be like yeah so how can i scale it to actually put it in something it's like yeah that's really interesting but how do how do i make it work that I would argue that's a productization engineer. Mm -hmm. An engineer yeah. is like, ooh, cool, how does that work? Productization engineer is, ooh, cool, how do you make money? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's, um, it, it, I mean, the, the, those are two entirely dif different types of people. And to put this to the extreme, um, I know at one motherboard manufacturer that's their lead BIOS engineer still develops BIOSes using a 1024 by 768 CRT. So that's why BIOS always look terrible. <laughs> it's because it's it's he's been doing it for 20 years, 20, 25 right. years. And that's what he's comfortable with and he doesn't want to change because... Yeah. Can you say that resolution again? Because I haven't heard that resolution. by 768. Wow. I haven't heard that resolution in a long time. You should read some of my benchmarks. I benchmark at that resolution. Oh, I don't read your stuff, no. <laughs> so, um, it's, 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 it's like Actually, an old 4 by 3 isn't it? So. I, yeah. Before we go, I do want to, to mention this because, I mean, and Jim Jim is kind of known for, for hating 720p benchmarks. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's known for, for them. So um, why do I do them? No, no, I I think I have an idea why you do them, but explain to the audience why you do them. Because you're a shill. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because 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 i'm a big shill for low pixel um <laughs> no so low pixel I mean, big pharma low pixel, yeah what's the art that's involved in low pixel stuff low poly art or whatever yeah yeah i actually quite like that um so 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 oh, the reason i took is so i mean I, I mentioned i've been doing benchmarking for 10 years you know on the mother and CPU stuff and there's always a question of well when you test a CPU do you test some games at some resolutions with some GPUs or do you do like 12 GPUs on one game on how many resolutions do you do and 
what is it and are you trying to show differences in cpu or are you trying to show realistic workloads and over the years i you know i'd seen people do these low low resolution benchmarks and i was like yeah no no relevance to real world what have you what's the point in doing them i got enough requests over time and i got my automation to a point where i can just say oh yeah i'll just add that to the list and it just runs so so I... so, so so i mean in my gaming tests i run four different resolution quality settings one of which is low resolution low quality if people don't like they to see those click. numbers they can ignore them the, the 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 argument i'm sure i've had this argument with you is where some I'm readers sure. some some viewers they want 100% of benchmarks to be relevant to them they mm -hmm. don't want any extraneous data whereas you have other people that say can you test my niche case and they just want that one piece of data and you'll have yeah. and I, I always say look what you care about pay attention to the mm -hmm. rest is just noise so if you don't like that test, ignore it. Unfortunately, if, there are still people who want 100% of the data to be relevant to them. And I'm sorry, that's just not possible. You're not that special. Sorry. Well, then there's... You're one person out of, you know, tens of thousands of people at any given time reading any of your... Then there are people who want 100% of the data to uh, say the story they want told or to have Absolutely. the result they want to see. So, you know, if... If and benchmarking listen, at a low resolution I, makes X product look good, I, then, then do it. If it well, makes I mean, so, X so, so, look bad, then don't. What, 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 one of the issues I have is that some people say, well, you test too many edge cases. You're not showing, you're, you're not spending enough of your benchmarks on the mainstream, the average user, and you're going after all these little niche use cases. My, my argument there is it's changed in the last 10 years, five, 10 years. People want individual tests for their very specific workload. It's the reason why I run six rendering workloads is because people use different software. Gone are the days where people will look at just one number for a generic piece of software and say, oh, that applies to me. This is why mm -hmm. you see different scaling with V-Ray, Corona, um, Cinebench, mm -hmm. and, uh, or, or I do a benchmark where I run crisis on a CPU. All different sorts of scaling in rendering, and that's just how it is these days. So, sorry, rant. That's my rant. I heard you mention Cinebench, but that's not a real-world benchmark, so I don't know why. Are you sure? Zero point two six percent of people use Cinema Four D. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, it's, it's that, that, I mean, when Intel first said, yep. you know. Um, performance yeah real world performance matters i even have a real world performance t-shirt maybe i should have worn that it's blue <laughs> as well um yeah uh, the, the, the 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 response from all the press in the room was basically well look this is a this is a representative workload not a specific workload mm. for the you know for because depending on how many tests people are doing mm -hmm. right it's out of all that data how many people are running a rendering workload oh well it's about 13 percent well, this is a representative example of a rendering workload. So yeah. we're not catering to 0.26% with this test. We're catering to 13% of the of people with this test. And that's that's kind of where, yeah, agree to disagree, I think, between Intel and the press in the room. And, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. Intel is for the smart people. And um, 
having having constructive discussions with them is way more important than having antagonizing discussions with oh, them. Oh, of course. Yeah. E- even if you post a Rocket Lake review three and a half weeks early. <laughs> so um, I, I kind of got uh, got disconnected there for a second again because today is just not right for me. Um, one of the one of the things I, I wanted to kind of talk about is when Jim talked about that in his video, um, I, you know, I, I think in some of your cases, specifically with the uh, the Ryzen stuff uh, last gen, I, I think a lot of the because I've seen a lot of people test at lower resolution for that mm-hmm. uh, that processor. Um, a lot of people also did not have a 3090 or a 3080 or, you know, they were testing last gen stuff. Yeah. Um, I saw a bunch of people testing with, you know, 2070 supers and whatnot and whatever yep. they could get a hand on because supply was so bad because sampling, you know, wasn't out to everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I think to a certain degree, it's, it's really understandable, especially in those situations for people to do that. Um, if you're testing on, you know, a, a 2060, and the highest thing out there is a 3090. I mean, 1080p max is going to be bottlenecked on every CPU you try. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's when I do CPU reviews, one of the biggest comments I get is, you're not using the top-end GPU, so why should I care mm-hmm. looking at your gaming tests at all? And the answer is, well, I test multiple systems at once, so mm-hmm. I need more than one card. Um, I'm the CPU reviewer, not the GPU reviewer. So trying to get one card is difficult. Trying to get three cards is, is like you know trying to find hen's teeth. Um, so and then never heard that because, one before. Because because I that's a British saying. Um, because and because I update my test one test bed once every eighteen months. That's kind of the cycle I go for. And sometimes I can't get hold of three GPUs. Um, Especially so I think like now. So I'm still running 2080 Ti's, and people are complaining I'm not running 3090s. Mm-hmm. The 2080. So, um, so I'm just trying to think. I ran GTX 580s. I got them from ECS. They sent me three. Um, oh wow! I run... ECS made graphics cards. Like I haven't, I haven't heard that in a long time. Um, I then went to GTX 770s, mm-hmm. and MSI sent me three of their Lightnings. I remember those. That, that that was nice. Um, then I had a GTX 1080. No, I went through a period where I had AMD cards from Sapphire, the RX4 uh, R9290X and the RX480. That was in a time where I was testing multiple GPUs. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. Uh, then I went. One of the to, few guys that did that. It's a pain. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, drivers get messed up so easily. And then I went. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at my cards up here because I've got they're all on the shelf. Um, MSI sent me three of their GTX 1080s standard gaming cards. Um, yeah, and then I got one NVIDIA Founders Edition from I think so. Our GPU editor, I think he had two, so he sent me one. And then NVIDIA were kind enough to send me another two. Um, but yeah, no, it's harder during low stock levels. To get them mm-hmm. um i'm not changing my uh test suite probably for at least another year mm-hmm. just because it's a pain to retest everything because people still want sandy bridge test benchmarks and broadwell benchmarks and uh, bulldozer benchmarks and well, i guess not so many for those um 
Phenom 2 X6 benchmarks. And then oh, yeah, Ryzen wow. 1000, then Ryzen 2000, Ryzen 3000, Ryzen 5000, then Threadripper 1000, Threadripper 2000, thread, then, then high-end desktop. And, the specific chips and, that, and then the specific chips that nobody bought, like the 1400. What? The Ryzen 1400 or 1500X. I'm just oh. try, I'm, I, I probably have a super rare chip on my desk. Uh, of course you do. <laughs> Athlon 2 X4 638K. Mm-hmm. Celeron G1820TE. I mean, so the whole whole point of my CPU overload test of testing all x86 CPUs was that someone somewhere is running this stuff and they want to compare now with then. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to find a CPU that's, if you Google search, you don't know what's 100 megahertz different. So the fact that there are 84 different Haswell CPUs doesn't help you. And this, unless yeah. you find the number it's specifically for your CPU, or you just upgrade anyway. It's a really cool idea. The the reasoning behind it. It's a really cool idea. It's, it's, it's helping it's, people uh, who don't know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's great. I, I'm pretty sure if I had an intern, I could get we could get six or seven processes done a day. Um, so I mean, I, I I do CPU tests and GPU tests on almost everything. Uh, I don't do GPU tests on Celerons and Pentiums because there's no point. Um, I don't. I don't do GPU tests on Xeons, mm-hmm. and I'm undecided on high-end desktop because I haven't done many of those yet. But yeah, now if I had an okay. intern, I could probably knock out six, seven a day because they run overnight, right? So. Mm-hmm. So the um, the the last thing I I wanted to kind of uh, touch on was um, your uh, your YouTube channel, which is uh-huh. Tech Tech Potato. Self-promotion. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and people can, of course, find you on Anontech. And um, on Twitter is... What is what is your, your Twitter um, at again? Uh, my at is at Ian Cutrus. Okay. Or at Tech Tech Potato. I mostly use the Ian Cutrus one. That's where you'll find me most. It's... Um, when I was younger, I used to do the whole forum thing, which mm. I guess is now transformed into the Discord thing. I find I get too bogged down in conversations mm-hmm. if i follow it too much and it just takes too much time away twitter is just more of a instant glut and and it, you can it, see my memes there it it totally happens here with the uh the discord for the uh the uh, the patreon donators so i know exactly what you mean about it taking too much time but i mean we love but, those guys. i mean I, i'm in the adore tv discord so if somebody yes. ats me i will see it um, I, I, have, uh, I, I don't like the fact that Discord, I have to scroll to find where I'm mentioned. Cause sometimes there's, um, there's a tool in the search I could show you where you could find where your mentions are. Um, it's, I'm getting so old. This is why I don't understand all of Discord's how-to-do option. These, these damn kids and their damn Discord. Back-scrolling 20, 50, 100 messages to get the context. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hey, at least the reply feature shows you the comment that they're replying to. So they, they fix that. Yeah, that's not yeah. it. So hopefully but, they hit reply to something and then do an at for you so you get the context chain. I've I've actually seen you reply to some messages that you've gotten me in, and you're, you're very um, cordial Aggressive. with me. <laughs> well, it depends who it is. Well, um, there's there's some... There, was, there st- were some people... I stand my ground. I stand my ground. This, this is a stand your ground Discord. Um. <laughs> oh yeah 
but I mean, going back to the topic of tech tech potato. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I, I have a couple of interviews coming up over the next few weeks. Um, I've already done one of them. That was really, really interesting. Can't say who it's with yet. Um, I've got a few people that I want to interview on that list as well. Um, content wise, um, I'm sure at some point I'm going to do some some tech ASMR. Uh, so that should be that should be quite good. You'll, you'll just hear me reading off CPU specifications. With a um, GTX fan blowing in the background. Oh, can you hear that? I meant to be on RTX before. No, no, we can't. Through a couple of times, so that's. <laughs> well, I can't hear it's, it most it... of the time. I've, I've got to say though, in in terms of uh, very, very um, uh, like thread, uh, what do you call it, thumbnails? Yours are not yeah. that bad. I respect. <laughs> not it. that bad. They're not that bad. I, uh, I especially I, I, like I, the. I... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that I have a thumbnail where I said this CPU is terrible. Thanks, Obama. I got about five messages saying, "Why are you bringing Obama into this?" I was like, "Do you not know the meme?" Right. Like, I don't know. How find did they it not funny. know? Also, I got to say, I like that it got more views than a couple of the other ones that are right next to it. So it clearly worked. The people, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people got the meme. Well, that's the yeah. sad part, though, is when you could memeify your thumbnail that doesn't have much relevance, but get more views out of it and so people do it because it works and that i wonder i wonder how cycle. far i'm gonna go and and how many how many uh on fire graphics card am i gonna have in the background of my uh, my thumbnails i'm sure <laughs> it's everyone uh... knows the top two people were uh talking about with their thumbnails <laughs> It said that linus said in one of his videos that with a good thumbnail your views increase 20 percent, and i fully no, it's, that. It's, yeah it's true it's, it's, it's true i my favorite one though is how not to shill the video is actually um pretty good if, if that's the one I, that i'm thinking of it's about yeah the, um the 40 connection with long. press and stuff ethics yeah. and journalism and yeah, it's really good. Journalism to be what i really specific. what i really like about it though is the dollar signs and the 3 dfx tattoo on your neck oh <laughs> i i, I so that, 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 that wasn't my idea but um it's uh, says I originally had you know Intel AMD logos in there, and I thought, no, nah, let's go for something a bit more retro. Um, no, it's it's great. You just needed the the gold teeth coming out, and <laughs> yeah. I know I'm British, my they're yellow enough. <laughs> um, no, I, but I've, uh, I've just got to say one thing about the British thing. When you said, "What's all this?" Then a yeah. part of me laughed inside because that's my favorite um, English just sort of saying. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to do it in a proper, proper Cockney accent, though. What's all this then? <laughs> yep. You walk in, you see a bunch of people benchmarking. Hey, what's all this then? Yeah. Hello, hello. hello. What's all this thing? I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. You got to go ahead. Yeah, but no, no. It's future videos on the channel. I also want to. Um, I recently did a video about Intel Labs. You know, their neuromorphic, their quantum, their silicon photonics research. Um, they actually sent me one of their neuromorphic boards. To show off, I mean, it's a dead board, but it's got the chips on it, and I kind of want to do a show of hands on with that. Speak about the sil- silicon photonics is is a next generation of interconnect that I think is worth talking about. Um, I'm not sure I, I'll explain the science bit very well, but I think explaining the computing bit very well might be might be on the cards. So, okay, and and just a, a last sort of parting shot. Uh, you have RGB gaming speaker shoes on the channel, so people should check that out just for a 
what the hell is going on kind of thing. I recommend I've, you guys check that out. They make your own I've, uh, Today I've learned that Alex <laughs> if is a red. really big Tech Tech Potato fan. <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised how much I listen to this in the background. You, you guys would be surprised. It, it, it all depends how much you take it in, though. <laughs> that, 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 that RGB shoes is arguably one of the worst viewed videos on my channel. Um, which just goes to show that post it, po posting crap doesn't necessarily help. But like an AMD bike? <laughs> oh, man. AMD, yeah, I'm, I'm working on my AMD bike review, but the drivers, uh, they're just, they keep crashing. Learn how to drive felt, then. Yeah. That, course, that was you not... watched Gamer's that was... Nexus video, he kept crashing too, but it wasn't his fault when the change was well, on <laughs> well, he, he crashed a bit too much, then decided not to ride the bike again, did he? Yeah. Well, he had to fix it just to make it safe. I mean, I mean, I mean, that—that—that—that's literally reviewing uh, company merch. Maybe there should be a review company merch channel. Re the weird thing review is, a hoodie. is the AMD bike isn't actually AMD merch. I think it's like somebody else makes it for it's the branded yeah. Walmart bike. Yeah. With, yeah. With stickers. I, I mean. But processors are one of the few things that aren't made somewhere else that are rebranded, right? Yeah. <laughs> I I would review though uh, the MSI plushie dragons. I would totally review those things. They're, they're kind of cool. You have one, don't you? Mm, all I got no. was a, all I got was a silly Zotac T-shirt. I went to CES I mean, and all I got was a silly Zotac T-shirt. I mean, I have this Core Two Extreme inside. I, I wanted it, it, just as a as a final this is like a decade old. As a final nerd thing, I really wanted the Intel Extreme Core uh, Skull shirts that they had for Intel Gaming. No, it had the Intel Skull it. logo. You remember the Extreme Intel Extreme Skull yeah, yeah, logo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they still use it sometimes. I think they used it just on Devil's Canyon. No, Skull, Skull Canyon. Canyon. Yeah. One of the enthusiast nooks. They still yeah. use it on the Nook enthusiast line. Um, no, they, they sent me a couple of Superfin t-shirts. It's I always have to be wary about which t-shirt I'm wearing on a video. Like the Super Nintendo one. <laughs> yeah, I think this is fairly neutral. Even though, even though I I, I don't know I, I, I was a, I was a I was a Sega guy though. Sega well, does. I was a Sega guy too. I'm wrapping uh, one of my more favorite games. <laughs> it's I actually recompleted that last year. That's because I was going for Steam achievements, but. I I didn't I we can't see the shirt, Kirk. It's the I know you guys can't, but it's on stream if you wanted to see it. We need to get Kirk a secondary webcam so we could see him during these things. It's, yes. I'm, I'm, Kirk OBS has a stream cam feature where you can change it into a webcam so you can oh. record with it and show it. Well, no, I'm in a different software so that I can green That's screen right. myself. That's right. That's right. Because you can't okay. share your webcam between two applications simultaneously. You can with OBS. That's what I'm saying. I think I think we talked about this last time you wore the shirt, Kirk. Um, well, you can with OBS, I, yes, but OBS doesn't do auto green screening. Unless if everyone wants to see my messy uh, office. But, of course, I guess Ian gives me confidence I should probably do so. Well, hold on. To be fair. Well, the, so the solution to your uh, problems is NVIDIA broadcast. Just get yourself an RTX card. This RTX works just card. as well, which is... Oh, uh, he, he, can see he's about to get a $1,400 check. Maybe he can afford one. 
28. No, I'm married, so I get 28. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So the the thing I was I was going to point out though was uh, Ian's background is cool though because it's a uh, it's a box of it's boxes of motherboards on a nice shelf. Mine has a it's just bench, tech stuff. So I don't think anyone cares to see that. I personally think my blue freshly painted wall is very nice. Yeah. Um, I like my green screen, so you can't see all the junk in the background. We can see your chair though. Can you can you now? Ooh. It, well, it blends well. out when you're not directly in front of it. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think I think we've shilled everything that we need to shill. I think we've covered all the bases that we need to cover, and uh, you know, I, I think we had a really interesting discussion with uh, with the doctor over here. You don't want to shill things like nimble storage or. <laughs> I mean, I mean listen if i'm enterprise hold I, on i get all the uh, more fancy stuff Just, veeam who knows hey hey if, if if nimbus data sends me a few of the 100 terabyte drives i'll happily show for them hey i, I wouldn't um, mind that for synology sending me their rebranded toshibas uh they're not they're not rebranded they're they're just uh optimized for synology uh-huh yeah. Yeah, they they do have their own custom firmware they use the uh, gigabyte gauntlet for selection. Hey, at least they're not rebranded Seagates. So Seagate send me a drive. The, <laughs> the one it. thing <laughs> for anybody listening, um, if they do want to advertise, if they do want uh, free advertising, if you get us uh, graphics cards for our <laughs> own testing, I will happily show them in every podcast. Dictionary.com just added the word SponCon. For sponsored content to their dictionary. <laughs> SponCon. Nice. SponCon. I will, Nobody has ever said that. No. It's, I will it's, absolutely do SponCon with um, Spon CPU benchmarking. It's, 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 for some uh, of the I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a euphemism. Yeah, do you do SponCon? Huh? Are you I, a, that sounds a like a different kind of euphemism. <laughs> But yeah, so you know, anybody listening, feel free. Um, we have we have to buy our cards right now in the current situation. Um, at inflated well, my, prices. My, my, my solution is review CPUs. <laughs> there you go. And, I, and, and buy and buy really old Celerons. Listen, listen. I review CPUs. And we lost him. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> he reviews CPUs. <laughs> You should review some some router or something, man. Yeah. No, I I'd personally love to review some more enterprise stuff. I actually ran some ad hoc benchmarks on a vSAN for VMware. <laughs> Maybe I should put an article up about those off the cuff ones. Give it a slight comparison versus some low lower ish it, SAN performance. All right, since uh, Alex is probably not coming back in time, we should probably go ahead and wrap this. Be sure to check out Tech Tech Potato Sub. Hit the alarms for not just us, but him as well. Check out our Twitters. Follow us. Of course, uh, you have a Patreon, right, Ian? Yeah, Patreon slash Tech Tech Potato. All of my tiers are related to CPUs, um, so it's not my fault if you choose the bulldozer tier. Um, I suggest going for something a bit higher. Um, your performance will directly increase with the size of your pa with your size of your patron. So there you um, go. 
And there's a special even, Lisa Sue tier as well. Yeah, a golden tier for sure. <laughs> and even a bulldozer equivalent on our Patreon will get you into our Discord as well. You can at least get that and get invited. So sure to check those out and check out the websites and Antech, adoretv.com. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Ian and Donnie and Alex, of course. And we will see you in the next one. We'll leave it there. Be sure to like and subscribe.